what I have learned so far this semester and what I have remembered. This is going to regard mostly Zoom. That is how I've engaged with students so far. What I've learned is that there's a lot of baggage attached to Zoom. I think it has been done poorly in the past and that it has been overused. This is a relatively new technology and I think it came at a time when we needed it. But what happened last semester for most people was not online learning. You were doing face-to-face -face courses and they shifted online and what happened, it was emergency learning. And there's a lot of things I think we were starting to figure out. I think there's been some mistaken theory. Too many people use pedagogy instead of andragogy. I'm dealing with college students, adults. The way you talk to and deal with adults is different from the way you deal with children, and it should be. You make your own decisions. And as a teacher, I have to realize that students need to know why they're doing things before they'll do them. And they don't like wasting time. They want you to get to the point. They don't take the same things for granted when they're 18 and above that they would take for granted when they're kindergarten through elementary school. High school students are going through a transition, and it just depends on the student. Now, there's been some mistaken theory about how to use Zoom. And one thing I think is I'm hearing from administrators and really smart people and that you should show your face more, get better engagement from students if you show your face. And I've seen pressure on teachers to show their face even when they have black eyes or big general zits on their nose. Or they really don't need to because nobody really wants it. But there's this impression. I, th I think it's part of this is the misconception people have about introverts versus extroverts. We tend to privilege extroverts thinking they're better at teaching or at business. But Bill Gates, he's doing all right for himself, and he's very much an introvert. Introverts tend to be self-motivated, and an introvert probably isn't really going to appreciate being forced to take a Zoom class. I mean, if, if an introvert were taking my class, I think they'd probably wait till it was edited, posted online, and then they could listen to the audio while they're doing something else, and they could double their productivity. That's, I don't think anyone's ever purely introvert or extrovert. I think that there's some mistaken assumptions made by, by educational leaders right now. The thing about showing faces and measuring engagement by students or viewers showing faces, it's, it's easy to measure. And so I think there's a confusion about about engagement because you're assume, making assumptions that, that don't necessarily hold out. It's an, it privileges the type of teaching that extroverts do, and I don't think that means it's necessarily better for everybody. I mean, yes, extroverts like to do that cheerleading, rah, 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 and motivation, but the truth is extroverts need that, whereas an introvert is more internally motivated and may resent being told to do things that he doesn't think are necessary. I think a lot of the educational theory is people telling me to do things and how to do things on Zoom. I think that what I'm hearing, they're confusing cause and effect. Also, I think that sometimes in education, you get a certain kind of personality, a sort of a martyr. You know, they're, they're, a lot of us say we are student-centered, but if you study education, student-centered doesn't mean what you might think it means. But there are some people who think that just doing everything all the time, bending over backwards, extending all deadlines, that's, that's somehow we're doing a favor for students. But the truth is, it isn't necessarily the, the best thing. I think that consistency and predictable behavior is much more effective in driving and in, in learning environments in the college adults. There's a little bit too much reliance on fear, obligation, and guilt in our thinking. I think there's misunderstandings regarding the use of or the role of Zoom in education online going forward. For example, from my classes, I had people emailing me to apologize for missing a Zoom. That kind of confused me. I had people 
apologize or email me about missing the second or third opportunity for a Zoom. That also made me think. And I had people who showed up for the Zoom and scowled. Now, I know what it's like to have RBF. That's resting bad face, maybe. I have that a bit. I used to hear a lot of people, people, teachers, parents would tell me, smile more. You know, I could be having a nice day, but telling me to smile or asking me what's wrong when I feel actually like I'm having a good day, I don't appreciate that. Telling me I look like I'm sick when I'm actually feeling pretty good, it's kind of a trigger, so I, I kind of suspect people who make that, that assumption. Anyway, though, I wonder, though, because on, on a couple of my Zoom sessions, I did see people that didn't seem very engaged, and I saw blank expressions working, I think, making an effort to show no reaction, no response. And either you've been in a relationship with a with a narcissist or someone with a dark tetrad, triad, you know, a type of sociopathy. Either you've had to live with someone like that, and or you you weren't happy about being in class. And the thing is, you weren't in class. You were in a Zoom that was entirely optional. And I went through a list of what I was thinking was, you know, maybe you're not about to be there. Okay, maybe you've got resting bad face. Or maybe you didn't read the syllabus or the instructions on the assignment prompts because they make very clear it's optional. You don't have to be there. Or maybe you have trust issues. You know, I had coaches who would have optional practices. And if it's a team sport, the people who showed up for the optional practice got to start. So you can't trust a coach who says, yeah, this practice is optional. And I think maybe some teachers are that way. I'm not. That's not me. It just recently occurred to me that this might also be because a Zoom experience is so much like watching TV. And watching TV is so passive. Now, a bit more about my andragogy in Zoom and how it's going to be used. I believe in inquiry learning. Now, inquiry learning, a short explanation the best way I've heard to put is a bad teacher answers questions that nobody asked. If nobody's asking a question, why is a teacher answering it? Maybe students already know that, and a lot of people don't like being told what they already know. Maybe they don't care, and people don't like being told what they don't care about. So I think a good teacher has sort of an, a, a relationship with the students where they're asking questions and he reacts to them. And I think in the future, I, I will do Zooms that are less frequent, but focused on tasks, and only the people that want help need to show up. They don't have to share their picture if they don't want. And the only reason I'm doing Zoom at all is because I think that, well, some people might get more out of it if they're there and they can ask their questions, because it's not always intuitive to me what people need to know. And also because as a teacher, it's kind of like being a performer. I have this theory of education, I call it edutainment, because I think you have to entertain people a little bit and get them to pay attention, because if no one's listening, they're not probably learning. And this is going to shock some of you, but in face-to-face classes, sometimes people don't really listen. Even when they're looking, even when they're smiling, even when they're nodding, sometimes they're not paying attention. That happens. And there's no reason to feel that you have obligated to attend a Zoom session. The onus, the thing about being student-centered and inquiry learning, but also I'm very student-centered, but that doesn't mean I'm super nice or weak or easy to get along with or that I'm going to change deadlines or expectations because you have a great, terrible story about grandparents. I taught a class at 7 a.m. and almost 13 grandparents died. The next year, all my classes started at 10 a.m. or later and only had one. I saved grandparents' lives by moving my classes later in the day. It's just one of the little things I've done for you all and you're welcome. I hope you appreciate that. I saved 17, no, 15 grandparents' lives. I think it's worth pointing out that, and this is something I learned in my studies in higher education, teachers prioritize one of three things. All teachers value three things, but they all value one more than the other. And the three things are the students, the content they're teaching, and society. Now, I worked for someone at KU that valued society more, and they wanted to change the world. That's maybe 
good for the most people, but I saw individuals suffer. Individuals through no fault of their own, and even innocently, because in some situations, maybe not very often, but sometimes a student didn't fit their worldview and they suffered. A lot of teachers in the hard sciences focus on the content and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with any of these as a priority. What I teach, gateway classes in composition, my priority is the student. I'm student-centered. But what that really means is the onus, the the responsibility, the the weight is pushed toward the students. I give a little bit more responsibility. You got to pick it up. I like to work in complement with students and I work just as hard as a student does. But if a student doesn't care about my class and they don't put in much effort, I'm not going to put in much effort for them either. I only work as hard as students work. And if a student's struggling, I will, will be there for them. But if no one, someone, if they're not going to put in the time or effort or engage meaningfully, yeah, don't expect me to care. Now, I've I've watched some. I've been studying, trying to figure out how to be a good teacher for quite a while. And I really learned a lot about teaching when I was doing it for money overseas, and I was marketing myself. And I saw popular teachers, good teachers, were there were some of them were like a game show host, and they were very funny or engaging or entertaining. I had uh, there was a comic. You know, he was funny. I can't be that funny that consistently. I've seen teachers that were very serious and very committed and very on-task content focused generally, and they're wonderful people. And I've had good teachers that were like any of these things. I've even had a good teacher who was kind of a con man. You know, he tricked you into learning things. You may not realize you're learning until years later. And I think the way Zoom's going to work mostly, I'm going to work on material on request. The onus is going to be on students to schedule, to to work with me, to let me know when it works for them. You're going to have to share your work, and we don't have to record it if you don't want. If you're willing to record it, there might be some motivation for that, because generally if one student has a question, more than one do. By the way, everybody, go check the discussions. Look at the frequently asked questions because I've been asked around the same questions a lot lately and I need to stop doing that. Check the frequently asked questions before you email me. Oh, and if anyone's calling my the number I gave you, text first, okay? Because I don't answer phone numbers I don't recognize. I'm not sure why my phone is blowing up. I accidentally gave my phone number to a car salesman and I think he sold it. And so I'm really kind of upset about that, but I'm not sure if it's students trying to reach me. I got a feeling mostly it's car salesmen, telemarketers and such. I really made a mistake. In the past, online classes, I've taught online classes for a while. We haven't had Zoom. They've been much less interactive. I'm worried, though, because in gateway classes, the success rate isn't the same as other college classes. They require more work. They require more commitment and engagement. And they're the ones that if you succeed in these classes, you're going to succeed in college. Grades in these classes correlate highest with graduating and being successful. I think it's harder to put those classes online successfully. And I'm always working to see what's going to help and what's going to work. I think online learning is harder in some ways. It it requires more student motivation and engagement. It also requires more reading on the part of the student. You can't rely on this teacher being there to tell you what was in the book. I never like doing that anyway because I I think what's the point? Why make them buy a book if you're going to tell them what's in it? Online classes require more writing. I mean, if I do online discussions, you have to type it out. Except on formal essays and final drafts, I'm not real picky about spelling and grammar so much. But that may change if someone has real serious, we can't understand your problems. Failure is always an option. Some people think if you fail, it's the teacher's fault. No, it's a a collaborative effort if someone fails. But if if failure is not an option, then you're not taking a risk. And if you're not taking a risk, you are not growing. You are not learning. You are not moving forward. All right, I'm done. I'm out of here. Bye.